0: Hey, how's everybody doing? Good, good, good. I heard you. You guys are doing awesome this morning. I'm so thankful that you're here. Uh, We're in our final week of our series called End of Days, and it's been an amazing series. You know, the first week we talked about all the things that Jesus told us about before he left the earth, about what would happen leading up to the end of days. Last week, we talked about his return, the idea that there's going to be this moment where Jesus is going to come from the heavens to the clouds, and there's going to be this thing called the rapture, which I know most people go, man, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. But Jesus says in, in, in his scripture, he tells Paul, and Paul writes this in First Thessalonians, he says, we will be caught up with him, that we will literally be snatched out of this, this earth. And uh, if, if you're like me, like if, if if you're tired of some of the stuff we deal with here on this earth, man, that's going to be a good day, right? And we talked about how early Christians, they would walk around in great expectation of Jesus' return because they believed it was going to happen very soon after he left the earth. And they would say this to each other. They would say, Maranatha. Jesus is coming back. And there was just such this amazing expectancy that everywhere they went, they literally were awaiting Christ's return. And so then we said something that was very profound. I just love this statement. Paul, the church at Corinth, said these words. He says, hey, listen, we're going to all be changed. And in light of that, in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back for those that are his, we need to stand firm and we need to serve the Lord. And so today we're, uh, we're finalizing our series on the end of days. We're launching a new series next week, which we'll tell you about tomorrow morning. You got to wait till tomorrow morning for the preview. It's going to be awesome. But check social media. It's going to be cool. Okay. I just want to say this. I believe that today's message could be the cornerstone message in everything that we've talked about, because today I want to talk about my end of days, your end of days, and I want to talk about heaven. That's funny, when you tell people you're going to talk about heaven, uh, some of them get kind of freaked out, some of them get kind of weird, because there's been a lot of weird things that have been talked about in our culture about heaven. Like, you know, people see things, and they go through things, and, and all that, but I don't think that's what God wants us to see when we talk about heaven. But we are going to talk about my end of days and your end of days. In fact, I want to make this statement before I start. Every one of us, we will all face an end of days. Every single person. We will all face an end of days. Why? Because all good things must come to a... That's right. Look at your spouse. Look at your girlfriend and say, and I am that good thing. And I am coming to an end. Okay. You only got me for a limited time, baby. I mean, I've said that to my wife for years. She's not buying it. The truth is... (laughs) At the end of days, we're all gonna face an end of days. And, and those of you that know me, I typically have to live the message before I ever stand up here and preach it. God does something really cool in my life every week. There's something weird that happens to me that God says, ah, notice what I just did there, okay? I think God has a hilarious sense of humor because Tuesday morning, I was about to get up and about 5 a.m., me and my wife, you know, the house is very, very still. All of a sudden, I hear, choop! I'm like, what's that? Tracy hits me and she says, that's a smoke alarm. You forgot to change the battery. We lived here for two years and you haven't changed the battery in that smoke alarm. N- next thing, like, I-, I did what you would do. Like, I went back to sleep, right, because it's 5 a.m. and Jesus isn't up yet. And so I laid back down and I was just like, certainly, about 15, 20 minutes later, Tierp! and I'm up. Because I just want to say this, after the age of 40, all the things that you think you're going to do, like you're going to sleep your life away, (laughs) no way. Your body says, "Uh uh-uh, you're getting up. And so I get up, and literally I walk in the hallway, and there's this one little smoke alarm that has literally gotten me out of bed, and it just chirps about every 20 or 30 minutes. And so I go downstairs, I go down to my study, I start having my quiet time just thinking about things for the day, working on the message, all of a sudden I hear, chirp! And I'm like, okay. By that point, I can hear my wife. She's getting very upset because I'm not going upstairs and dealing with it. So I grab the ladder. I go upstairs I grab me some batteries. And I literally put a new battery in the alarm. And the moment I fix this one, the one beside it goes, chirp. And I'm like, these are the spawn of Satan right here, okay? So I literally walk over to the other one, and I change it. And then I go downstairs, and I'm like, oh, man, all's right with the world. Everything's great. And all of a sudden, I sit down, and I start praying, and then I hear, and the one right outside of my door of my study is going off. And here's what I said. It'll just go away, I promise you. Maybe the other two set it off. Maybe they, like, talk to each other. I don't know what happens in the battery world. But here's the thought. It didn't stop. In fact, the longer I stayed there that morning, it got closer and closer and closer. By the time I changed the battery in that last smoke alarm, every 35 seconds, it was... I mean, it's literally talking to me. And here's the thing. Everything in life has an end. Even a great smoke alarm battery, right? Our lives are going to face an end. And so people say to me all the time, they're like, well, I don't want to talk about the end of my days because that's a very morbid thought, but I am going to watch The Walking Dead on Sunday night. (laughs) And I look at people and go, weird, okay? But I do want to say this. I do want to say this. How do we ever help people live today if we're not willing to help them make sense of tomorrow? You ever thought about that? I mean, I'm thankful that there's a doctor that would talk to me about a potential thing that could take my life. But we're talking about the end of days so we know how to live today. Remember, that's kind of been the theme in the whole series. This is not a scare tactic series. Some of you literally thought when you came to this series that I was going to stand up here and and just kind of freak everybody out. It's really been funny. And what's weird about that is this, is that we will pay good money to go to the theater and watch an end of days movie, right? Like we'll pay $15.50 to watch The Rock cook something up in San Andreas. (laughs) Some of you know where I'm going with that. But when we say we're going to talk about the end of days in church, everyone goes, I, no no." And it's just weird because how do we ever help people live today if we're not willing to help them make sense of their tomorrow but you know what here's why i think people fear talking about the end of days because they fear judgment isn't that true I mean, it's not like we're sad that we're going to not pay taxes anymore. We won't have to think about fixing our car or not paying for our kids' college education. God got us out of that one. It's the fact that when we die, we don't know about the judgment we're going to face. And so what's weird about that is this, though. As people, we are good at judging ourselves. We just don't want anybody else to judge us. Let me give you an example. If you're over the age of 50 here, you judge yourself all the time. Here's what you do. Hey man, these are the things I've done in my life. Look what I've accomplished. Look at my education, look at my job, look at this. And, and we literally want the world to know what we have done or we want the world to know what we possess, right? And that's why your husband looks at you at age 60 and says, baby, God is calling me to a new Corvette okay? Because you want to show the world, I have arrived and the top goes down. Right? We're good. We judge ourselves all the time. And if you're under the age of 40, here's what you do. You take pictures of yourself, of yourself. And you take a lot of pictures of yourself. And then you sit and judge which one looks best. And then you post it on social media. We get judging. I mean, we're good at it, right? We're either judging, we want people to judge us by what we think is significant, or we want people to judge us by what we're wearing on Tuesday. But the truth is, we get judgment. But most people, they don't want to talk about their end of days because they fear judgment. But look what the Bible says about judgment. It says, for it's appointed for a man to die once and after that to face judgment. Every single person, okay? This is one of those funny moments when you say, they did a recent survey and 100% of people who are born die." all right? (laughs) You're like, yeah, whatever, okay? The truth is, all of us are going to face judgment. All of us are going to die. We're going to have an end of days, and we're going to face that, but the judgment that we will end up facing will be answered in how we answer this question. Look at this question. You can be born twice and die once, or you can be born once and die twice, All right, so I'm gonna ask a really hard question at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning in a church. How many of you have been born? (laughs) One dude goes, dude, I don't know, man. Saturday night was really good, okay? All right, I'm just glad you're here, bro. And I just wanna tell you, we've all been born. You can be born twice and die once. What does that mean? Jesus was talking to this guy that wanted to know more, and here's what he said. He said, you must be born again. See, here's the truth. All of us were born physically. That's why we're here today. We've been born once, but Jesus says you must be born again. And he wasn't talking about born again physically. He said you must be born again spiritually. And he said as a result of that, you can be born twice and die once, a physical death. Or you can be born once physically and die twice. Now, what death is he talking about? He's talking about a physical death. But he's also talking about a spiritual death. And the type of judgment that we will face in our life at the end of our days will be decided by how we have learned to answer that question in our life. I mean, think about it. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Revelations today. We're gonna to be in, Re- excuse me, Revelation today. You say, oh, you caught yourself. That's right. Most people call it Revelations. It's actually Revelation. Revelation chapter 22 and we're going to talk about this guy named John, like John, the apostle, God that t- literally took him to this island. And on this island, he had these encounters with Jesus about what was going to happen in the future, like these visions. And I don't know about you, but if I could see tomorrow, I don't know what I would want to see about tomorrow, but, but John got to see tomorrow. And he's on this and The revelation of Jesus Christ is this, is that Jesus was unveiling himself to the world. He wanted them to understand these are the things that are going to happen. So in Revelation 22, verse 12, Jesus says this in relationship to judgment. He says, look, I'm coming soon. My reward, everyone say reward. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Now, not all judgments are bad. I mean, some judgments are good. Some of you have been in a court of law and you've won a judgment and you bought a new car. But Jesus said, I'm coming back. And when I do, I'm coming back to reward some people. And the funny thing about that is this. That's what leads us to what we're going to talk about today. My end of days and what heaven's going to be like. At my end of days as a believer in Christ, and for you, if you're a Christ follower here today, here is the judgment that you and I will face. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. He said, wait a minute, Sean. When I gave my life to Jesus, everyone told me, Jesus isn't going to judge me anymore. Nope, he's not going to judge you according to your sin He's gonna judge you according to what you did after you gave your life to Christ and your faithfulness to him. And what's crazy about that is we look at this many times and we freak out because we still think as believers we're gonna be judged according to our sin. No, that's what Jesus paid for on the cross. But the judgment seat of Christ for us as a believer is a very, very important thing. See, here's what I want you to know. Works do not qualify us for heaven, but... It will determine how we're rewarded. It will determine. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.10. Paul said this to the church at Corinth. He said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's talking to believers. So that each of us may receive what is due us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now what's crazy is that word, uh, that we must appear before the judgment seat, that word is bima seat. Okay, someone earlier said, Did you say Miami seat? No, they won yesterday, okay? But we're talking about the Bema seat. And it's a different type of seat because it's not a judgment according to our salvation, but it's a judgment for us to be rewarded as believers in Christ. See, here's the thought we look at the judgment seat like we would a bench judge. He comes in, he makes a verdict, he throws the gamble down, you know, the court, whatever. This was a different type of seat. The Bemis seat was the, the word that they used to describe what the ancient Romans and the ancient Greeks would do. When someone would go do something spectacular or someone would go and they would win a race or they would win a battle, they would bring him to the city and they would put him on the bema seat and they would crown them with rewards. And so, what Paul's telling us, and what we know about the judgment seat of Christ from Scripture, is this very thing that we're going to be rewarded if we're a believer in Jesus. And it's all based on our faithfulness and what we've done to serve the Lord after we met Him, it's not based according to your salvation but what we've done since that point. I mean, can you imagine being invited to a party and showing up and people are walking in with gift after gift after gift and you walk in and you forgot to buy a gift? (laughs) I mean, that's like a bless your heart, hope to die in the South moment, right? But when we stand before Jesus someday as believers in Christ, the things we did to serve him and faithfully follow him. In fact, the Bible says that there's five crowns five crowns that as a believer in Christ, we would have the opportunity to be rewarded. And you can go study those. I don't have the time to talk about them today, but I can tell you it is a reality. So you say, well, what happens in that moment that Jesus comes and, and He rewards us? Well, it's funny because in Revelations 4, there's this moment in Scripture where there's these 24 elders and they received crowns. So we kind of get a sneak peek, right? And they're laying these crowns on the 24 elders, and then the Bible says that those 24 elders take their crowns, and they fall down at Jesus's feet, and they lay their crowns at his feet. That's a moment. I mean, think about it. I want to experience that moment in my life. Can you imagine what it would be like to leave this place and to stand before Jesus and him come to reward you and he put those crowns on you and then you have the opportunity to kneel before Jesus, the one who's wearing a crown of thorns, and lay it back at his feet. Wow. Doesn't sound so scary anymore, does it? It's funny because we get it all mixed up. It's a place that God wants us to all be at in our lives. So some of you are asking this question. You're like, okay, so last week you talked about the rapture. Now you're talking about believers that have been caught up with Jesus, and, and they're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, and they're getting rewards. Sean, I'm confused. Like, where are we in the timeline of things? I'm glad you asked that question, because I want to show that to you today. Jesus is coming back, Maranatha, right? The dead in Christ will rise. We talked about that. Granny never looks so good coming out of the grave, Right? Christians raptured we're going to go meet him in the clouds believers will be rewarded for the things they did once they gave their life to Jesus and then I shared this last week my opinion is then that's when the seven-year tribulation will begin and then at the end of that there's going to be this battle that will end all battles and let me say this I just want to make it very clear okay the Bible says Israel's not going down that is the truth. I don't care what any newspaper says. I don't care what any country says. The Bible's clear. God's going to defend his people. And at the end of this, he's going to take Satan and he's going to throw him into a bottomless pit. And then Christ will return. That's the second coming of Christ. Christ will return to the earth to judge the world and reign for a thousand years. And we will come back with him. Imagine that moment. I'm back okay? That's going to be great. And then the great right throne judgment, which we're going to talk about as we close today. So that brings the question, Sean, if all this is true, then what is heaven like? I mean, really, what will heaven be like? Because there's some people, they're, they're confused. They've seen all these things. In fact, let me say this. Some of you say, well, Sean, heaven is going to be like a church service. No, it's not. I've been to some really bad church services in 26 years of ministry. In fact, I want to say this. If heaven is like some of the church services I've been to, I think it's like hell. Bad singing, bad preaching, bad coffee. And some of you are like, please, dear God, send me to hell if it's like some of the church services I've been to, okay? And I feel your pain. But I want to tell you this, heaven's not going to be like a typical church service. It's going to be so much different than that. In fact, in your Bible, turn over to Revelation 21. He basically tells us what heaven is going to be like. And here's what he says. He says that God will establish, he says God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. He will establish a new heaven and a new earth. Now think about that. Look in twenty-one, one. This is what he says. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Sorry, Nemo. You're out. <laughs> then I saw a new heaven. He says, hey, God's going to come, and he's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. Think about it this way. Where have you been in your life that when you looked out and saw what God created, you went, OMG. I mean, I've been to the Rockies of Colorado. I've stood on some of those peaks. I've looked at uh, mountains. I've seen those things. I've been to some of the most beautiful rivers. I remember going to a place in South America right outside of Guatemala called the, the Blue Cave and literally waterfalls. And I thought to myself, this must have been what the Garden of Eden looked like. But here's what this passage tells us. Take the best place you've ever seen in your life and multiply it times 77 million And you still can't figure it out. You say, is it really that good? Oh, yeah, it's that good. When God comes and He establishes a new heaven, a new earth, I know God's going to do it because why? The scripture even tells us. It tells us in scripture no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love Him. Listen, God's cooking up way more than the rock. (laughs) It's going to be awesome. And our minds, we can't even wrap our minds around by how amazing heaven's going to be. I think I'll probably spend my first 5,000 years just going, whoa. God will establish a new heaven, a new earth. He also tells us this, that we will never suffer again. We will never suffer Again, I said this last week, there's going to be a a lot of no mores. Look what he says in Revelations 21, 4 and 5. He says this, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Look at verse 5. He says this, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Listen, when we get to heaven, not only will we experience a new heaven and a new earth, something like we've never experienced before, but we will never suffer again. You know why? Because there will be no sin-battered world to deal with. I mean, I personally think that the things that we love here on earth When we get to heaven, we're going to be able to do them without limit. Listen, I am going to run and never stop. My shoes will never wear out. My lungs will never say, ah, you can only do this much today. And some of you are saying, Sean, that sounds like hell to me. (laughs) And I get you. But some of you, you're going to cook forever. Some of you, you're going you're to be reunited. But here's the thought. God says because of him creating all this, we will never, ever suffer again. We will never suffer again. We will enjoy all the things that God meant for us to enjoy without the hindrance or the limits of sin. And there are a lot there are a lot. You know what else he tells us? He says, we will live with God forever. We will live with God forever. Listen to this. Revelations 21.3 says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, we don't understand the magnitude of this, but how many of you are parents here today? Raise your hand, okay? All you parents, you get this, what God is really longing for, because specifically if you have a parent and your child's over the age of 15 or 16, all you want as a parent is what? To be with your children. That's all God is waiting for. To be reunited with us with no more limitations. And he says, when all this is done, and we are in heaven, that we will live with God forever. What does that mean? He's going to bring us back to the way it was in the Garden of Eden. Wow. That's crazy. God's longing to be with us and to dwell with us just like that. Here's the problem. We think everyone goes there automatically. In fact, I want to make this statement to you today heaven is not the default destination. It's not. I mean, how many times have we listened to someone who died or listened to someone who lost someone and they said, well, He was a really good person. She was a really great person. And now they're in a better place. And when we say that, here's what we're really saying. Good person equals better place. But heaven is not the default destination. And why do we struggle with that? Here's here's why we struggle with that. Because we all, we all want to get there our way. Right? I want to make it to heaven my way. That's why people all the time say, I don't understand. Why can't I figure this thing out? Well, Jesus was very clear. In Matthew 7, he said these words. Look what he says in Matthew seven thirteen and 14. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Only a few find it, Jesus said. Here's what he was saying. Wrong path equals wrong destination. But remember, we want to get to heaven our way, right? We want to make it our way. And if you're a man in here and you drive a car on vacation, you're feeling it with me. You're like, honey, I ain't turning left here. We're going all the way. We're going my way. But Jesus said, you better figure it out because the wrong path, the wrong gate leads to the wrong destination. So I want to talk to you about the second judgment today. It's known as the great white throne judgment. You see, the first judgment was for believers, The Bible's very clear that if you're a believer in Christ, we're gonna be judged and rewarded according to what we've done after we've met Christ, our faithfulness in serving him, which could be an amazing moment for us. But he also talks about the great white throne, judgment. Let me make this statement to you. We were never created for this judgment, but many will choose it. We were never created. God, see, a lot of people in this room, they go, well, God, this proves it. God is a mean God, right? Because why would a loving God ever let someone die and go to hell? I hear that from people all the time. God never created us for this judgment, but we know that many, many will choose this judgment. And I often ask the question, why? So let me go back to the issue of God's love. The truth is, the Bible tells us that God is waiting. In fact, He says that the reason God hasn't come back is He's waiting because He wants all to come to Him and have a relationship with Him. That is God's intent. And so I want to say this God's waiting is God's love. So when you say, Well, why would God, you know, if He's loving, why would He let this happen? No, God's waiting. There are hundreds of you today. God's been waiting for you for a lifetime. And he never created you for the judgment we're going to talk about. His waiting is his love. So why would anybody ever choose that? Because we still think that we can get to heaven my way. My way. John the apostle, while he was on the Isle of Patmos. There were many dreams and visions that the Lord allowed him to see, but he saw this judgment. And in verse 11, in verse 11 of Revelations 20, look what he says. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, and the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. In other words, It didn't matter whether they were influential, poor, whether they had been to church a million times or, you know, been to church once. He just basically said, great and small. And he said, standing before the throne. In other words, millions and potentially billions of people. And he said, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead, listen, were judged according to what? they had done as recorded in the books. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Did you hear what he said? He said, the problem is at this moment, there are going to be people stand before the throne in the great white throne, and they're going to be judged according to what they had done versus what Jesus has done. Do you see the difference? My way, God's way. I started thinking about that. Then then what is my way versus God's way? My way is good works. I want to earn this somehow, right? It's religion, the idea that I can worship God on my terms and that when I get there, he's going to go, hey, yeah, I know you. Or the idea that somehow I can be moral enough And God looks at us and says, man, you did those three acts of kindness for those people. I am just so going to let you in here. Or the idea that somehow, some way, we can put together a package of spiritual beliefs and somehow God's going to go, yeah, you believed a lot of spiritual things, so I'm going to let you into heaven. See, that's, that's how my way thinks. But let me tell you how God's way thinks. Jesus on a cross, surrendering his life for all of humanity, dying for the sins of the world. That's God's way. You know what else it is? It's the idea that I can surrender my life to Jesus and I can trust Christ and I can do as it says in Ephesians 2, I can trust him by grace, through faith, not of anything I've done. And the Bible says... That is God's way. In fact, that's God's plan. I mean, think about it this way. Jesus basically is telling John, at this point, at the judgment seat of Christ, when these people stand, I have paid for the penalty of sin for these that were raptured, these that are a part of the judgment seat, but my justice demands payment for this sin. And so when we attempt to get to God in our own way, here's what we're saying. I would like to make payment for my own sin. And the Bible tells us in Revelations 20, it doesn't work that way. Let me ask you a question. Why would you ever want to pay for your own sin? God's very clear in his word. He says, that's not my choice for you. My love is the fact that I'm waiting for you. Would you bow your heads with me today?